Well, good day, everybody, and welcome back to the extras. My name is Sam. I'm Jack. It's great to be with you, uh, remote Jack, uh, via Zoom and via podcast with everybody uh, listening online. Hope you're doing well in uh, the midst of, of this lockdown. And uh, how are you going, Jack, with with uh, life in lockdown? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. There are challenges, but there are things to be thankful for always. Uh, you know, I'm personally grateful for the little snippets of time I get with Katie and my kids that I wouldn't in the normal run of the week. You know, there's, there's good things there, but it is trying, and I certainly feel for all those out there who are finding this time hard, and, you know, it's a great loss for us not to be able to do church together, obviously. So, yeah, you know, mixed feelings, as always. I mean, what about you, Sam? Welcome back, by the way. You know, you've had a couple of weeks of leave, and have Come back to a very different ministry landscape, eh? Yeah, um, yep, that's right. We, we well went on on leave just after the lockdown was, was announced and had two weeks off. That, that was great to have some some downtime and chill uh, during the school holiday period with with my family and uh, yeah, a different kind of holiday. But uh, nonetheless, it was it was really good. I'm feeling feeling refreshed. Um, yeah, and, and I think we're just taking it a day at a time. I'm, I'm feeling much more um, confident in terms of church. So I think this this time we're, we're a little bit uh, better set up for, for something like this. And so that makes life, from my perspective, a, a little bit easier. Um, but I'm just mindful of, of wanting to connect with people. And um, I miss, mm. miss seeing people around and keen to just keep reaching out and just seeing how people are going. And so if you're listening to this and you're... Um, looking at someone to chat to, feel free to, to give us a, give us a ring and say good day. And uh, yeah, I got plenty of time. Someone asked me the other day, "What are you doing on Monday night?" And I was like, "Oh man, I got a busy social." Oh wait, no, I'm free. And so uh, <laughs> um, yeah, very happy to chat. If there's people out there who are yeah keen keen to chat, um, but yeah, go, going well. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into some questions today. Um, and we've got a couple to, to hit um, on, on this episode. Uh, all in light of Luke chapter 16, which you really helpfully um, opened up on, um, on Sunday for us, Jack. Thanks for your work in, uh, in preaching. Um, just yeah, as be- before we dive in, why don't you give us a bit of a, a recap of, of what Luke 16 is all about. It's a couple of days ago and we've seen a, too many press conferences between now and then, so we might have forgotten. That's right, yeah. I mean, we're recording on a Friday, even for me, it feels like ancient history, to be honest, thinking back to Sunday, but... Let's um, think about where we were. So, yeah, Luke 16, Jesus tells the sort of infamous uh, parable of the dishonest or shrewd manager. So you have this this guy who is wasting his master's possessions and is getting fired from being the manager and uses his last little bit of time to uh, slash his master's debts and use his master's money to make some friends for afterwards. And Jesus says this guy is this example of shrewdness who we're called to follow in some way, which is sort of bizarre and perplexing and we wrestled a lot with what that means on Sunday night. Uh, I take it the, the point of this parable is that Jesus is calling us to, to use our material resources and, and steward what God has entrusted to us for the good of the kingdom so that people would become friends of Jesus for eternity and, and find eternal life. So thinking all about money and how we use that to make an impact for the kingdom, that's what we were thinking about. Nice. Yep. It was a really helpful talk. So thank, thanks for preaching it to us. And um, if, you, if you didn't get it, you can you can catch up and uh, watch on YouTube. Um, we've got uh, ten... plenty of time to get back into it. Yeah, that's right. Plenty of time. Um, we've got 10 questions to tackle today, Jack. So so we'll, we'll dive in. Um uh, so the first one is is about shrewdness, uh, which you mentioned just then. So uh, the question is, I wonder if Jesus's choice of the shrewd manager isn't just to highlight his shrewdness, 
but also that if we fail to use our money in light of eternity, we too are unfaithful managers of what God has entrusted to us. Uh, Jack, I think you said as much when you were commenting on verses 10 to 12. What do you think? Yeah, thank you for the question. And I think a uh, great pickup by the person who sent this question in. Uh, when I got to verses 10 to 12, uh, I had to glide over them pretty quickly. And if I'd said more, I would have unpacked things along these lines. So I think this is right, yeah. Jesus applies the parable of the shrewd manager two ways. On the first point, verses 8 and 9, he's saying, be like the manager, as in be shrewd and use your wealth in light of the future. But for us as Christians, that future is thinking about eternity. And then the second point is... Uh, uh, don't be like this manager, but uh, be a good manager because God has entrusted things to you. So there's kind of, there's, there's a flip side. It's, you know, on the one hand, be like a manager, be shrewd. On the other, don't be like a manager, be a faithful manager and, and use what God has entrusted to you well so that the master will be pleased. So yeah, I think that both those things are going on as Jesus unpacks the parable. Yep, yep. So we're not to be unfaithful managers. We're to, to be shrewd, but, but be faithful in light of the future of, of yeah. Um, yeah. eternity, use our money in light of that. Yeah, spot on. Nice. Okay. Um, the second one here is uh, just a question about context, really, which is uh, trying to work out, are there any links with the previous parable? Um, we, we spent the previous two weeks looking at Luke 15 and the story of uh, particularly the, the lost son, but there's also the lost coin and the, the lost um, uh, sheep before that. Um, any links back to Luke 15 here in Luke 16? Yeah, for sure. I, I touched on this a little bit at the start of my talk, but good to be able to drill into it a little more as well. I think there definitely are links. So I think that uh, this whole section of Luke is really intricately woven together. It's, you know, called the travel narrative because Jesus goes from uh, where he starts out, you know, setting his face to Jerusalem, teaching his disciples along the way. Now, Luke 15 and 16 particularly do seem to be a package deal because the Pharisees are in view in both of them. Start of Luke 15, it's the Pharisees who are saying, you know, oh, Jesus, look at him, what's he doing, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And Luke 15, he says in response to them. And the Pharisees are still listening in by the end of uh, Luke 16. So uh, Luke 16, verse 14, says the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at mm. Jesus. So I think you have this, this sort of turnaround. Luke 15, you know, the parables of the, the lost things, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then the two lost sons. This wonderful picture of God's generous love and his, you know, joy and celebration as people turn, people who are lost turn back to him. And then you get plunged into this bit about money, which I think at first glance seems like just a total change of topic. But it's the response, the response of the Pharisees that shows you they are linked because it's the Pharisees who, in the end, will reject the, the love of God. And I think the reason they do it is because they love something else. And what they love is money. That's what mm. Luke uh, points us to in verse 14. So you have this kind of move from what is it that uh, God has done, the love he shows for us, to what are the things that get in the way of us running to the Father who loves so generously. And money is one of them. Mm. So that's why Jesus really seems to twist the knife here and challenge the Pharisees to think about why is it that they're so, you know, you know, con- contemptible towards people like the the task collectors is because they don't love God, they love money instead. Mm. There's other little things as well. I mean, there's, there's lots of kind of money-type parables throughout this section of Luke. You know, there's later on in Luke, you see the parable of the 10 minas and the, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things going about money. So there is a bit of a theme. Mm. And even in this one, um, Luke 16 verse 1, it's, you know, the, the dishonest manager wastes his master's possessions. It's the same word back in Luke 15 about uh, the prodigal son who uh, wastes or squanders his father's estate. So you have... That little link, you know, a verbal link as well. You could call this one the 
the parable of the prodigal manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely stand. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, one of my reflections on, on Luke 15 is that um, God is prodigal in a sense as well. He, he is so... He pours out his grace and, and love in this sort of very kind of over-the-top, almost wasteful way. Um, not wasteful from our perspective, wonderful from our perspective, but... Um, I wonder if it's, there's something going on there too that, that actually God could be accused of being wasteful as he um, uh, yeah, pours out his grace and yet he's doing it in light of eternity. Um, but that, I don't know, food, food for thought there. Um, but yeah. there's definitely a, a, a kind of a, a, a sort of link between all of these parables and it's good to see them sort of um, bouncing off each other. Mm. Nice. All right. Uh, Third question, um, it's a long one, so I'll try and summarise it. Um, it was a bit of a comment, because you used an example in your sermon, Jack, of a, of a Lecrae song, uh, which, which sort of takes us back sort of 10, 15 years uh, to uh, an American Christian rapper known as Lecrae, um, and I think you um, quoted one of, one of his songs um, in, your, uh, in your talk. Uh, someone's... A little bit concerned about that, um, particularly uh, because more recently um, uh, Lecrae perhaps has um, drifted a little bit from his faith faith in in Christ, um, and they're worried that by referencing and quoting him, you're um, uh, kind of uh, I don't know giving your your tick of approval to to him, and he he may not be kind of on the straight and narrow these days. Um, do you have a, a, a kind of response to that? How, how do we think about interacting with people who perhaps once stood closer to Christ and maybe now are standing a little bit further away? Mm. How do we think about that? Yeah, really grateful for this person and raising that concern here, so I'm happy to speak to it. Uh, as I prepared to talk, I, I did consider some kind of caveat here, to be honest, but the reason I didn't is partly because as I have you know watched the cry over the past, you know, 15 years or so, um, he's, he's had a very complex story. So I think, yeah, like he definitely went off the rails at one point and there's a, there's a point where he also repented of that and came back. And part of the reason I didn't say anything by way of caution is because I'm just not, I don't know him well enough. I don't know his heart. I don't know him personally or anything like that. I don't know where he's up to, to be honest. So I wasn't keen to just, you know, quickly smear him as someone not to follow at all. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely... Uh, an important portion there that um, given the certainly the ambiguity around his story yeah I, I don't necessarily want to point to Lecrae as someone who is this paragon of Christian virtue who we should emulate in every possible way yeah as with everyone like we need to be discerning and you know particularly when we um, think about people and their, their public representation of Jesus and the gospel we need to be discerning about that and, and what someone's life is like is you know part of the package there you know, I pointed back to Lecrae's song from, you know, Don't Waste Your Life in 2008, which was part of an album where he was, I think, really boldly and clearly declaring the gospel. And, and I'd say that unreservedly about some of his earlier work. Um, yeah, more recently, I think it does get more complicated. Mm. I think in all of that, the thing I'd also want to say is, if I only ever pointed you to, you know, contemporary expositions of uh, with the gospel by people who are perfect and sinless, then... I wouldn't have a lot of material to go to. Uh, I'd have none. Uh, none of us are perfect. And, and you know, if, if I point to someone or quote someone, I'm not saying that this person is holy to be emulated in every single aspect of their life because no one is. None of us are except the Lord Jesus. So I think I'd want to, yeah, encourage uh, people as, as you listen to us preach, you know, we may try and give you, you know, examples and quotes of things to, to just 
see how these sorts of truths get set in in a more contemporary way of speaking today. And I think that's helpful. Mm. That's never meant to be a, you know, you should do everything this person has ever done. Like Mm. it's it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's helpful. Thanks, Jack. Um, Let's um, push on. The fourth question here is, is about the rationale as to why does Jesus here specifically mention serving money? Um, is money, in Jesus' view, distinct from other idols, e.g. career or relationship, um, or, or others, I guess, um, that, that can take us away from God? Um, and you mentioned before, Jack, there is a real theme of money running through this section. Why does he turn to it here? Yeah, I think, like I said before, I think the, the presenting issue, if you like, is the Pharisees. And the thing that their heart seems to be set on, instead of being set on God, is money. Um, mm. And I, when I take it, it's more than just that one specific example. Like, I think this is a bigger deal. Like, at one level, yes, there's all sorts of things that we can love instead of loving God. And that's a problem. And, you know, verse 13 of our chapter, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And you can take that and, and apply it more generally to anything, right? Like, yeah, you cannot serve your career and God. You mm. cannot serve your relationship and God. Like, that's true for everything. Mm. And yet, the thing that Jesus particularly highlights here is money. And as you go on to see, like, yeah, these next kind of three or four chapters of Luke, again and again, this is the issue that, that comes up. So there's, you know, things like the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the number of the issue for him is, again, money. Jesus says, you know, okay, you've obeyed the commandments, sure. Like, now sell everything you have and donate it to the poor and then come follow me. Like, again, you see someone who the thing that they trip up on is money. Mm. And I take it that that's this thing that's, that's just true about us as human beings. And I, I think I certainly see that in, in my life and I see it in our world, that money is this particular trap for our hearts. Mm. In part, I wonder if it's because it's something that is not a bad thing in itself. Like, you know, money isn't it's a, you know, just a thing in the world. It's, it's part of the world that God has made. It's, it's neither good nor bad. Influence. Sorry, that's wrong. No, it is good in and of itself because it's something that's part of God's world. Mm. And yet, it's something that has the power to ensnare our simple hearts and drive us to greed and drive us to love it instead of loving God. I think a passage like 1 Timothy 6 kind of shows you that. Like, sometimes people misquote it and say, you know, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6 is the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Yeah. And so there's there's something good that we so easily kind of make a God thing. And that, I mean, that's the heart of idolatry. That's why it is something that's such a snare for us. So I think that's part of why Jesus highlights it, because it is something good that we can easily take and make ultimate. Yeah, with things that are just outright wrong, it's harder to do that, because they're obviously sinful and, and a trap. But something that is good in and of itself, it's easy for us to be kind of subtly lured away from God yep. to love that instead. Yeah, and, and I think, to, to add to that, um, part of the reason I think money is such a big, um, big thing is that money is sort of, I guess, um, it's a liquid form of security. Um, so we, we crave security as human beings and we, we crave being safe and, uh, because we understand that the world that we live in is, you know, there's danger and and we, we want to be protected. God puts himself forward as the ultimate one who can offer that protection under whose wings you can come for, for true security and safety. Um, and yet money uh, I guess it feels so much more tangible sometimes that we go chasing after it. And uh, and so I feel like at each point as you go through Luke from 15 to 19, you're seeing different characters wrestle with that with that issue. And I love that where it ends in Luke 19 is uh, with Zacchaeus, um, who was a tax collector, 
chasing money. And then his response to Jesus comes at the end of uh, his story. Look, Lord, here and now, um, you know, I will repay anyone that I've cheated out of money four times and I'll give away my wealth to the poor. Um, there's a beautiful sense in which someone has grasped the greater security that comes through Jesus. And so I think Jesus is attuned to that um, desire for security that, that we have and we so often point towards money. And, and I think he's showing us um, yeah, what, what money can actually do, which is actually be used in order to point people to the true security, which is Jesus um, and his, his saving death for us. So um, I, I think that's part of why it comes in too. Yeah, I think that's right. Like we often talk about sin as autonomy, you know, self-law, that mm. declaration that I don't want to follow God's rules, I want to make my own rules. In a sense, like money is the the backing that you need to make that declaration, right? Like, you know, yeah. to be able to say, I have the resources to, to back myself and make my own way. Yeah, so yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. So... All right, uh, let's uh, let's keep moving along here. Um, got any tips, Jack, on how to show generosity to someone who isn't grateful or someone who expects your generosity? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question, and I don't know the circumstances of the person who texted this in, so in some ways we're guessing a little bit, but um, mm. some general principles. I think it is a really interesting question. Someone who expects or demands your generosity, I mean, at that point it's almost not generosity. There's, mm. you know, Generosity is this, you know, overflowing of our heart, wanting to do good to others. If someone, you know, demands something, then there's, we're, all, we're you know, rid of the category of obligation and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. I wonder if uh, there's potentially like a family dynamic going on here. Like, this may be a parent who um, is, you know, spends their life being generous to their children and providing for their needs, and maybe there's no gratitude there and just expectation instead. Mm. Um, if that's the case, then you know that's the thing we can wrestle through. I think on the one hand, I want to say generosity that showers upon people who aren't grateful is just another way of paraphrasing the gospel. Really, that's that's hmm. the generosity of God. You know, He lavishes His abundant love on us, people who didn't, you know, acknowledge Him, people who aren't grateful. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. Um, so, in, in one sense, if you are generous to people who show no gratitude and who just demand, you are reflecting the heart of God, I think. And there's there's something good in that. There's something to be commended. Like our, our generosity of people should never be because we expect something back and we expect to be appreciated, as good and right as that is, but we don't expect that. We, we do good to others um, regardless of how they respond because we want to be like God. I think that's part of the picture. That's just one half, though. I mean, there's more to say because... Um, Back in Luke 16, the point Jesus is making here is that he wants us to, to use our resources for the good of others. He wants us to use them for, for a kingdom impact and for, you know, seeing disciples made effectively. Mm. Sorry, if you can hear that in the background, my, my children are a little upset about something. So we'll press on. <laughs> it's all good. My, um, mine are going back and forth. And hopefully you won't hear any piano. They, the piano is right outside my office and they tend to play it real loud. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that's nice. Um, What's my train of thought as well? Um, uh, second, generosity. yeah. Second point, um, yeah. So, making disciples. That money, money is the advancing the cause of discipleship. That's what we're talking about. Um, it may be that in a particular relationship, continuing to just you know provide someone with money for them to be thankless with and to just do that thing, making demands of you. That may not be the thing that is best going to help this person grow as a disciple of Jesus. I think there's a time to wisely say, actually, in this case. I need to help this person understand their responsibilities, understand the 
importance to be thankful and all those sorts of things. So yeah, I think it may be a, a, a point to, to stop. Mm. you know generously supporting someone that kind of way yeah does that make sense you want to it does and, and i think in that um it's all about communicating with them um and so um you, you can talk about these things and, and god talks to us when, when we are thankless and uh when we take his grace for granted he graciously comes into the world in the person of jesus to show us uh that it's a big problem that we are ignoring him and taking for granted his generosity to us and comes to change us on that by saving us and then renewing our minds and our hearts um, and, and I think in that we, we do want to be like God in being generous but we also want to be like God in helping people to see through their selfishness sometimes and so it might take a, a difficult conversation but an important one where you speak to someone in, in this particular situation and you say hey I think you might be presuming upon my generosity uh, now there are always two sides of the story and they may come back to you and explain what's going on and you want to listen to that um, but if you you know, you pray about it, but have a conversation with them. Um, and uh, and I remember a conversation with my parents when I turned 18. Um, and uh, we, we were in a relatively well-to-do family and, you know, in a, living in a well-to-do area. And all of my friends, were their parents were buying them cars. And, uh, you know, they get their license and, you know, on their 17th or 18th birthday, mum and dad would buy them a nice car. And, you know, my parents were very clear with all of us kids to say, look, we might have the means to do that for you, but we're not going to do that for you because we don't want you to presume that everything gets handed to you on a plate and we want you to understand um, taking responsibility for yourself. Uh, and so if you want to drive, uh, there's, you know, there's the internet, go find a job. Um, or probably wasn't the internet back then, it was probably the newspaper. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you, you know, um, want, to, want to make your way in the world, we'll support you. And if you, look, if you get into trouble, we're here for you, but you need to work out how to, how to, stand on your own two feet, um, good luck. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was actually a very helpful thing. Um, and I'm, I'm quite appreciative of the fact that they didn't let us presume upon their generosity, but actually pushed us and um, helped us to, to sort of take responsibility for our own lives. Yeah, it's really helpful. All right, let's, uh, let's push on. Uh, we've got three to go, uh, or oh, four, four to go. Um, uh, what are some practical ways someone earning increasingly more money can continually avoid the love of money? This is such a great question, and I'm glad someone's asked it because I think it's such a huge issue. Uh, my first thing to say would be it's just great to think about this now. I think that it's important to think about your use of the resources God has entrusted to you um, in a sense before you have them. Uh, you know, for someone who maybe, you know, maybe you're a high schooler or a uni student and you're just starting to think about these questions, it's great to think about them now, even though you may feel like you don't have a lot of resources to give because it's harder to think about them clear-headedly once you have them. And that relates back to what we said before, you know, money is this thing that's good and yet our simple hearts latch onto it. And I think it's good to think about this question before your income increases, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. The other issue, I mean, the, the issue to be aware of in this discussion, I think, is lifestyle creep. And by that, I mean, you know, the more money you earn, the more you're able to spend. And that's what our world shows us and what people do, right? You know, as your income grows, you can, you know, move into the bigger house and start paying down the bigger mortgage. You can, you know, upgrade from the, you know, from the whatever the first second-hand car you bought is to the, you know, shiny new BMW, whatever it might, whatever it might be. You can see how like, your lifestyle kind of expands with your income as it expands. And I think as Christians, that's a you know, an idea that we need to think about in terms of what the scriptures say and not just accept the kind of cultural norm 
that the world throws at us. One of the things I'm keen for people to think through is, uh, firstly, um, how do you think about being generous first? You know, instead of looking at, right, here's all the things I want to spend my money on, and then at the end of that, whatever is left over, that's what I'm going to give to God. I think God wants us to see generosity and, you know, the growth of the kingdom as a priority. I think first and foremost, well, how much can I give? Give that away and then think about how am I going to survive on what's left. That's one thing. Mm. Um, the other thing is to say, how much do you need to survive? Like it's worth thinking about not just how much do I have and therefore what kind of lifestyle am I able to secure for myself? I think it's worth asking, what is it that I need to survive? Um, yeah, you may not need to move into the bigger house, you know? You may not need the bigger car. And it's worth asking those questions. If you keep your lifestyle at the same kind of level as your income expands, that means you have more money to be generous in support of the work of the kingdom and to make the investment in eternity. And that's, I think, as I was arguing on Sunday, one of the most important things you can do with your money. So I think that's, like, to sum it up, I think, yeah, I'd encourage people to think about, you know, keeping your lifestyle at the same kind of level even as your income grows so you're able to be more generous to the kingdom one yeah one mature godly woman who told me about this years ago the catchphrase that she kind of lives by which has stuck in my mind is as your income grows, is think about increasing your standard of giving not your standard of living mm. yeah i think there's a lot of wisdom in that i, I agree i mean for uh, and practical the, the question i look for practical uh, ways one just one thing that Sophie and i do is that each year uh, we, we come around to January, we, we keep a fairly um, kind of organised financial world. Uh, we keep spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff, um, which we sort of learned to do when we were uh, you know, going through college, not, not having much money. Uh, we've kept that up. And what we do is we go back and review our expenses at the end of each year. And we also um, uh, anticipate how much income we expect to have this year. And if there is a, an increase in income in any sense, we... Um, plan our giving again at the start of each year and so we say right we're anticipating x number of dollars so we're gonna um, and we've got a proportion that we um, choose to give each year um, to a variety of different ministries and we'll just up that at the start of each year um, and then we'll ask ourselves the question was there any spending that we did last year that actually we probably don't really need to do as we look at all the things that we documented our, our money going on. Are there things that we can actually cut out so that we could actually potentially be a little bit more generous um, along the way? And that's just a discussion we have. It takes us an hour or two each, each year, but at the end of the day, that's not a lot of time um, to go through, review the spending, review the income and ask the question, could I give more? And then pray about it and make some decisions. Um, that's just one practical thing that we do. That's a really helpful model, I think. And if more and more Jesus' people did that, I think that it'd be amazing to see what kind of impact the resources he's entrusted us with could have for the kingdom. Yeah. Let's, let's push on. Um, Jack, you got any um, advice as to where the line is between, say, stewardship and being wise with my money, putting something away for a rainy day versus greed? How do I know if, if as I'm saving for something or um yeah just even just to be wise where is it wisdom and when does it become greed yeah another great question jesus gives us the the kind of line elsewhere don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but store up treasures in heaven yeah and i don't think that means never save money because as i can go said a little in questions on something that kind of thing i mean all the money that we have is god's but he entrusts it to us for different purposes. Some of it he gives to us so that we'd be generous and 
give it away for the good of others and for the good of the kingdom. Some of it he trusts to us to provide for our families and, you know, in our culture and context, sometimes that's going to mean, you know, saving up money to put a deposit on a house and things like that. Like that's not inherently a wrong thing. That can be part of using the money that God has provided wisely and stewarding it for the good of others and for the good of your family. That's another thing we're called to do. Yeah. So how do you discern, is that wise or is that greed? Like it's a, it's a matter of the heart. Uh, it comes back to motivation and what's uh, first and foremost on the pedestals, the, the, the podium of our heart, I think was the language I use. Mm. But you could be just, you know, saving up that money because you love it. And, you know, there's this thrill of seeing your bank balance grow and, you know, it's that, that, that just kind of desire for more and more. If that's the thing that's driving you, that is the love of money. And Jesus says, if you love money, you can't love God. And that's a serious thing you need to wrestle with and repent of. Mm. But, but if you're asking questions about, well, God has given me this money, how am I going to use it best to uh, to glorify him and to provide for people I care about? If you're asking that kind of question, I think that's a good sign that uh, you are concerned to do it God's way. And that doesn't mean you're you know, not susceptible to greed. We all need to be on guard against that because love mm. is deceitful and uh, we're all susceptible to it. Uh, but I think, yeah, just honestly kind of trying to examine your motives and discern what your heart is thinking on these sorts of things and, you know, praying that God would give you good and right motives as you come to make some of those big decisions. I think there's some some principles I've put forward. Mm. Yep, I, I think that's right. Um, and, and I think it's also good to note that it's not... The Bible's not as simple as an either-or mindset. So it's not either you're storing up or you're giving everything away and it's kind of there's no in-between. Actually, the Bible calls you to do both. There's a real call for prudence, especially in the Proverbs, um, to, to um, yeah, make sure that you've got enough to provide for yourself and even for others, um, and which requires some saving and some, some careful management. Um, and it calls for generosity. And I think Christianity, a Christian, you have to do both. Um, and so that, I think that's important to say as well. Sometimes I think people get stuck with, well, I can't give everything away, so I just won't do any of it. You know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, couple. All right, uh, let's, let's bring this home. Uh, uh, what are some wise ways to be generous, even if you're someone who's financially struggling? This is a great question to ask, and I'm really encouraged that someone has put it forward. Uh, one of the, the challenging things about the Bible is that it's not just... The, the rich that God calls to generosity. It's something that he calls all of us to because whether we've been entrusted with, with much or with little, it's all his money and he calls us to use it for his purposes. Mm. And I think there's some lovely examples in the Bible of God commending those who are generous even with little. So um, I pointed a few people to this on Sunday, but if, you, yeah, if you're looking for more on this, go and have a read of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul commends the, the struggling uh, Macedonian churches who are in poverty and yet they're just begging for the opportunity to be partnering in the work mm. of uh, providing relief for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Like, yeah, they, they pleaded with Paul to be allowed to give. And I think that's this amazing picture of the heart of people who, even though they are struggling and have little, still long to use their wealth for the good of others. And I think that's a, a desire that you can cultivate, even if you are financially struggling. Yep. And I encourage you not to be not to be discouraged because you may not be, may not be able to give much in terms of you know absolute amount of dollars at the end. Like the thing that God is concerned for uh, is your heart, and that you are uh, stewarding what He has entrusted to you for for good. So you don't have to give you know much in terms of absolute terms to be able to do that. Um, but God is calling you with the little that you may have to be thinking about how you can use that for, for the good of others. So start small, I think is one thing I'd say. 
you know, as Jesus says in this, this text, those who are faithful with little um, need to, yeah, you need to be faithful with little before you're entrusted with much, that kind of principle. Mm. So I encourage you not to be discouraged, but to, uh, yeah, press forward and giving something small, uh, even if you may not feel like it's much. Uh, it's, it's about where your heart's at. It's the thing that matters. I, I, I think that's really helpful. Um, I'd say one other thing, just from a slightly different angle as well. I think mm. there are different reasons that people can be financially struggling. And I think that's important to, to acknowledge too. Some people, it might just be that you just don't have a lot of means. You're, you're low income. Um, and, uh, and I think in that sense, Jack, what you've just said there is really helpful. You can also, however, financially struggle um, perhaps because you, you just haven't um, worked out your finances. You might actually have a lot of means, but you might be making some poor decisions. You might have uh, gone into debt on things you probably shouldn't have, uh, just made impulsive purchasing decisions on credit cards and all sorts of things like that. And I think if that's the case, and I think that's actually more common, one of the things that I've, as, as I've ch- chatted with people, I think that's surprisingly common, people with, with um, quite solid incomes but financially struggling because of poor decision making. And, um, and I think in that sense, I'd want to just encourage a bit of financial literacy and uh, trying to work out how to how to um, change that because we actually most of us in this area at least have have pretty um, pretty good earning power, um, but often just ha- haven't got the dis- and, and no one teaches you financial literacy and so um, learning how to make good decisions so that um, you can become generous. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, there's lots of resources out there um, to, to, you know, um, become a little bit more financially literate um, so that you can learn to be generous um, because sometimes we think we're struggling, but actually the biggest struggle is ourselves and our lack of self-control and our, you know, spending on things that we probably shouldn't. So I think I just chuck that in as, a, as an extra um, side of things as well. That's really helpful, yeah. I mean, you mentioned resources off the top of your head or any that you'd plug for someone who might be listening and be keen to check that out. Yeah, look, I would say with your discerning cap firmly on your head, go and have a Google of Dave Ramsey on YouTube, um, who's an American Christian guy um, speaking about um, sort of financial literacy. And he basically says so many Americans, he, now he's very American, so you've got to take that in, in um, you know, in, in all of its glory. Um but uh, he says so many Americans, I think the stats are something like um, 60% of Americans don't have $1,000 saved for an emergency. And, and his point is, if you don't even have $1,000 saved, uh, you know, if your fridge goes and you need to sort that out, then you're going to stop giving to church straight away. Um, because you have, So working out how do you organize your, your finances, and he, he's got uh, seven baby steps that he works through, um, from, you know, start is just save $1,000, then to snowball through your debt and then save up, you know, three months worth of living expenses. And then, you know, he, he's got a bunch of steps that you can follow, all of which is coming from the worldview of if I can organize my finances, I'll be able to be generous. Uh, I'll be able to be more generous. And so I appreciate it from that perspective. I don't agree with everything Dave Ramsey says. Uh, I'll be straight up honest there. But that's, that's a helpful um, starter resource um, if you Google Dave Ramsey baby steps. Um, now, someone will probably email in and say I should be more discerning like we were on, Decray, on Lecrae. So, so <laughs> here is my, um, my disclaimer that I, I'm not backing him as, a, um, uh, you know, as the guy who's got everything right. That's Jesus. Um, but yeah, a good conversation partner to get you started. Um, there, there's a resource to get going on. Nice one. Really helpful. Yeah. 
All right, uh, before we go, Jack, uh, very quickly, um, did, we had two questions in on the weekend about um, N- uh, NADOC week, which uh, we acknowledged in our services on Sunday. Um, just quickly pick your brain on that. Uh, one, around acknowledgement to country. Um, why do we do something like that? Isn't it God's plan that, that we have the land now? Why do we need to acknowledge the, the Aboriginal people? That, that's not my view. That, that's the question. Yeah, glad to be able to tackle this issue. Um... God's plan is big and complex. So I think all those things are true. Like, I think it's true that, yes, God, in his sovereign wisdom, had planned that one day this building would be built at 32 Mosley Street in Carlingford, that that's where we meet as we seek to teach the scriptures and and worship the Lord Jesus. That's part of God's plan. It's also true that uh, Australian, sorry, European settlers as they came to Australia have done grievous harm and great sorts, you know, all sorts of atrocities to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Like, I think both those things are true. Um, God has this great history of uh, being sovereignly in control over some of the most serious atrocities that human beings have done and yet using them to bring about his plan. And, you know, if you want any proof of that, read, I mean, basically the whole Bible. Like, <laughs> You know, it's the kind of thing you see running through the, the book of Kings and, you know, Isaiah 10, as we look at how God uses the, the, the great, you know, empires of Assyria and Babylon who are wicked and perform great atrocities. And yet God's using them for his power, for his purposes. And, you know, the cross, the greatest act of injustice ever is the way that God has brought about our salvation. So, you know, God's plan is big and complex, is what I want to say. Like, yes, we can be thankful that we have the land that we have our church built on and we can acknowledge that there was great damage done to the, the people of our, you know, the First Nations people of our country yeah. that brought that about. Both those things are true. Very helpful. Um, I guess connected to that is the second question, which is um, how do we perhaps reconcile with and uh, even love and evangelize our Indigenous neighbours uh, who, who perhaps see Christianity as another form of colonialism? Yeah, this is a massive question. Like, I can't do this justice in a couple of minutes, but let me just say something briefly, knowing mm. that there's so much more needs to be said here. I think it's important for us to acknowledge the, the great hurt that uh, has been... It hurts an understatement. Like, yeah, atrocity is the word I keep using because it's right. Like, yeah, we need to be mindful of there have been great, terrible wrongs done against people. And so for those who kind of see Christianity as this imperial form of Western colonization i think i get that like i i understand the um the the anger you know i I don't understand personally but i can begin to imagine and empathize with the anger there like i think that's important to acknowledge Mm. i'd also want to say that uh at every point where the gospel of our lord jesus has come into contact with a new culture and a new people it's come as this uh this new idea that uh challenges and undermines the worldview of the people it comes to that's not Mm. just something that's happened in Australia among our Indigenous community, that's happened across the world, you know, as the gospel went forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It was always challenging the ideas of the people it came to. So in that sense, if someone wants to insist, oh, you can't tell me this gospel because it's um, it's bringing in this other, you know, worldview and system of ideas kind of crushing what we believe here, that's, that's always what the gospel has done uh, because it makes this exclusive claim that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth and the gods of the nations are false. Mm. And that is always offensive. That's offensive to every people group. That's offensive to, you know, secular Western people who are descended from European settlers. That's it's offensive to everyone. That's, yep. that's the offense of the gospel. Yep. And so uh, I think we want to continue to preach Jesus as the exclusive Lord, knowing that people are going to be 
offended by that and yet doing everything we can to acknowledge the, the hurt and the wrongs that have been done in the past. Mm. So much more needs to be said. There are a couple of things that I want to put forward to start. That's really helpful, mate. Um, yeah, if you want to pick up more on that, um, I'm sure you can reach out further and talk with you, Jack. Um, uh, yeah, we, we'd love to uh, go around the block. These, these are big issues and more than two or three minutes at the end of a podcast can, can tackle. But yeah, great questions. And thanks, Jack, for, for all your answers. Mm. Uh, that's it in terms of questions for today. Uh, we're pushing on into a new series kicking off this weekend in the book of Joel. Um, Jack, give us a quick kind of minute or, or so on, on what Joel's all about and what to look forward to. That's right. Joel, one of the, the little uh, prophets at the end of the Old Testament, uh, a, a small book with big ideas. Mm. Um, Raj is going to be taking us through as we think about uh, the day of the Lord to come, as we think about the God of justice and wrath and vengeance is also the God who's promised hope and deliverance and to, to share his spirit with us uh, in mid time. So real big picture into what God is doing. Uh, we're looking forward to getting into that starting Sunday. Indeed. Awesome, mate. Thanks for all your answers today. And uh, yeah, we appreciate all your work. Uh, we'll see you guys online for church this week. We'll keep praying for you all as you um, do lockdown in your various situations and uh, keep praying that God will bring us out of this soon enough and we can return to to meeting with one another as as quick as possible. Um, God bless, and we will see you soon.